reading is taken from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and A on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is John 15, verse 1 to 4. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is the word of the Lord. In some ways, it's slightly predictable to begin September by having a a title for today of New Beginnings, Um, because it is the beginning of a new term. Some of our our kids are going back to school this coming week. Um, Some are starting for the first time. Yeah, very, very exciting. We've got lots going on. And for me, actually, September is often more significant than January the 1st. You know, we think of January the 1st as the beginning of a new year. We have the idea of New Year's resolutions, and that's going to be the year that changes everything, and we've sort of forgotten about them by the second week of January. But for me, September has always had that feel of it's a new start. The season is changing, whereas it doesn't change quite so much between the end of December and the beginning of January. But that shift in season from July, August to September, October is quite a significant change in in season shift as well as in in what is going on. And I think because we've all been at school in our lives, there is that sense of never quite forgetting the feeling of the beginning of September and a new academic year starting. So in some ways it is quite predictable. It is reasonably corny to say, let's think about new beginnings. But I feel it's important too in, in the life of our church and in my life as well to stop and to think, where are we going? 
What is happening? And what is God doing amongst us? And how do I feel about that? Does that fill me with excitement? Or does it fill me with dread? Am I exhausted? Am I facing some really tough things ahead? Because New Beginnings isn't all about energy and positivity and everything working well. It's about a whole lot of things. And we'll each come today in different frames of mind, with different futures ahead of us. But God is here. And God is with us at any new beginning. So I want us to look at Abraham. At this point, he's called Abraham. But Abraham is one of the great heroes of faith, one of the great heroes of the Bible. And we meet him when he's 75. So if ever that's an encouragement that God's never given up with us. We meet him for the first time when he's 75. And he's already done a lot of travelling. He's a nomad. And so he's never settled in one place. So throughout his life, he's moved from place to place. He seems fairly settled at this point. But God comes and speaks to him. He's in a place called Haran, and God speaks to him with a new message, a new task, and a new beginning. Part of me thinks, oh my goodness me, how exhausting is that? You think you've got yourself settled, and God suddenly speaks and says, hang on, got more for you. And I want us to think about Abraham and what was going on for him and how he responded to God. So firstly, I note that Abraham heard God's voice. Almost without mention and how it was. For God and Abraham, it was so obvious that Abraham heard God's voice. It doesn't even need explanation. It doesn't need to say how it was. Was that an actual voice in his head? Was he praying? Was he out in the fields? What was he doing? What did it sound like? How did Abraham know it was God's voice? Think of all the questions we raise. Abraham and God were so close together that Abraham knew when God was speaking. He heard his voice. I think that's amazing and remarkable and a huge challenge to me to think how am I spending my life so that I know that I'm close with God and hear what he is saying to me and he might say it in an audible voice to me, he has done on a couple of occasions, he might say it in a sense that I have, that I have a real conviction about something, he might say it through something in scripture that jumps off the page and I suddenly think, wow, I've never seen that verse in that way. That's something that God is saying to me. He might speak to me through other people, through situations. But am I living my life expecting to hear God speak to me? If I want new beginnings, if I want to walk with God wherever he takes me, it needs to start with that close relationship which means that I am hearing him and hearing him speak an impact on my life. So that's the first thing about Abraham. He heard God's voice. Secondly, he was obedient and willing to act. Because God was asking him a big thing. He said to him, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. He's asking him to give up all the things that give him security. Now, he was used to living that nomadic life. So you can say, well, it's all right for him. He'd done it before. He knew what it was like. He was actually taking a lot of people with him as well. He took his possessions that he'd accumulated. He took his wife. He took his nephew and all the people that they had acquired. But nonetheless, he was having to leave behind things that he knew, things he was familiar with, things he was comfortable with, things that made him feel safe. And he was asked to go. And he said, yes, I'll do that. But the next bit is the bit that really freaks me out. God said to him, I want you to leave all these behind 
And I want you to go to the land I will show you. He didn't say, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to Jerusalem. Here's your map. Here's your your pack of supplies to get there. It's going to take a year, but you're going to do this on on route. All he said was, I want you to leave everything behind and go, and I will show you where you're going. But he didn't tell him where it was. And I find that really terrifying. That not only was Abraham being encouraged to leave behind security and all that was familiar, but God was saying, I will show you where you are going, but I'm not telling you that just now. I'm not giving you a five-year plan. I'm not asking you to to actually construct the details of what this is going to be. You're walking out into the unknown. And I want you to do it. I find that terrifying. Because I want to know what's going on. And I want to know the details. Because that makes me feel safe. And Abraham was willing to leave behind things that made him feel safe. And to go out into the unknown. And he says yes. He's obedient and he's willing to act. And then thirdly about Abraham, how can he do this? He believes in God's promise. God has given him a promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Further on he says, to your offspring I will give this land. He hears God's voice and God is promising him things. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. Great things are going to happen. I'm not giving you the detail of it, but believe in my promise. And Abraham believes the promise. And he builds an altar in places of significance to him where he knows God has spoken and where that promise has been delivered. And we think, well, what's this about building an altar? It's a sign, it's a symbol of a place of worship where Abraham can come before God and worship him and praise him. And a symbol that God has spoken and delivered great promises. At this point, Abraham's story will continue on, but at this point it ends with no conclusion and with Abraham still on a journey. He's actually still to be called Abraham. That will come later on. But his new beginning is full of uncertainty. It's full of fear and trepidation. And often our new beginnings are more like that, aren't they? We're not quite sure what's lying before us. How do we respond when we're not quite sure what it's going to look like? We have to hear God. We have to believe his promise. We have to be willing and obedient to respond. And know that God is going with us. So that's what I learned from Abraham. And it's daunting and exciting, both in the same breath. And that's part of who I am. There's something about challenge that I love, but also terrifies me. I won't move unless there's a challenge because actually it's much easier to sit still and do nothing. So I need to be challenged. I need a kick up the backside and that's how God has often spoken to me. He's kicked me up the backside and spoken to me and said, I want you to do this. Because I'd have choice. I would be safe and comfortable. So I need a challenge and I love a challenge and I love New Wine, Soul Survivor, conferences, meeting with people who challenge me, who make me think differently. It's not always comfortable, but I love that because that's what makes me move. But it terrifies me as well. And I have to hold together this tension of loving the challenge but being terrified by it. I'm not a thrill seeker. I love safety. I won't go and do skydiving or bungee jumping or anything like that. I don't get through. I hate roller coasters. I don't like putting myself into those situations, but I love challenge. Because when God challenges 
you see him at work in your life. And I don't want to settle for second best. But I love to live with that tension of loving challenge, but being terrified by it. And I think Abraham probably was a bit like that. We've got just a few verses where it looks, oh yeah, it was all fine for him. But actually, Abraham's a human like us. Same emotions as us. So I can learn from how he responded to that new beginning and how I might respond to new beginnings. And then we turn to the New Testament. And we have this wonderful passage where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Without me, you will not bear fruit. And again, that's a message for me. If I want to bear fruit, if I want to be useful to God, I need to bear fruit. And I will only do that by remaining close to Jesus. That is how I will do it. If I want to be an Abraham, if I want to be a biblical hero, somebody that we've known ourselves, who's lived an amazing Christian life, and we look at them, how can I be like that? I can only be that person if I live closely with Jesus. Know him through the Bible. Know him by praying to him. Being open to him, expecting to hear from him. Expecting to meet him. I will only bear fruit in my life for God if I am living closely to Jesus. And that is something for each one of us. Whatever is lying ahead of us to remember and to hold tight to. That no matter what this new beginning might be, Jesus is with us. He's with us in the good times and the hard times. We can draw close to him. We can gain strength from him. And in doing so, we will bear fruit. We've had three weeks holiday, which is quite unusual for us. Three weeks was wonderful. We were exhausted. We've had quite a difficult year. And we went on holiday with, um, in Dorset. And the sun was beautiful. And how healing is sunny, beautiful days. And just sitting on a beach reading a book or swimming in the sea. I swim in the sea. My husband doesn't. <laughs> but how beautiful is that? And so for two weeks, I didn't even want to think about Wanish. Sorry. I wanted to hide myself away. I read about six novels, one after the other. Almost an escape from all that had been going on and all the busyness of life. And what's hard for me is that God's mixed up in that a little bit as well. Because what I do in my day job is living with God. And I know that that should be the case for every single person, but it's very hard for me to separate what's my own personal discipleship and what's to do with work. And so there's a sense in which I sort of, I don't really want to think about you, God, at the moment. And when I did begin to think about it, I came up with big doubts. I think, what on earth am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I a vicar? What is the point of it? I was looking around at all these churches in Dorset where groups of churches, um, you know, one vicar can have 14 churches and they're running around, or driving around from one church to the next for six people in a little village, 10 miles on to the next one. And you think, how on earth can you build growth in a place like that? With a structure like that, I could not do that because I want to see fruit. And actually, having 14 tiny little churches scattered all over the place. And I thought, well, Lord, if this is what the church is like in this country, what on earth am I doing? And I knew in my head that that isn't what we have. But I was looking at it and thinking, the the village that we're close to, um, they're in vacancy in the moment, and they've got someone coming in in October, and we drive past the rectory, and it's a fairly grim-looking rectory as well. I was thinking, what is that person thinking, coming into that post, putting all my feelings onto this person, poor man? He's probably loving it and thinking this is going to be great. But I was thinking, oh my goodness me, this would be the worst thing ever. 
God, would you call me to a place like this? Because I would hate it. I wouldn't know what to do. And is this what church is about? Maintaining endless little services all over the place. That is not what church is about for me. Church is about seeing people bear fruit because they have a living relationship with Jesus. And you need to be together for that. You don't have to be a thousand people. You don't have to be 9,000 people in a big top. But there needs to be a sense of the body of Christ coming together. So I was really struggling. I was thinking, oh my goodness, why am I a vicar? Why do I do what I do? Where are you, Lord? What are you asking of me? And do I have the energy to actually come back, gird my loins and say, right, off we go again. Another year. What are you doing, Lord? Bring it on. I felt exhausted. And I began then to think, as the time went on, Paul only got this at the end of the holiday. This is all my private journey. And then I think one day we spoke about it. Paul was thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> but by that stage, it was fine. But I began to ask myself, how would I articulate what I do? Our son has a lovely girlfriend, Annika, who has never been to church in her life. She's fascinated. She came to the crib service at Christmas time and sensed community. But she doesn't really understand church. And I was thinking, if I was to sit down with Annika and have a conversation, and she was to say to me, Debbie, why do you do what you do? What would I say to her? Because I can't use church language, because she doesn't understand it. How would I describe to her what I do? And for me, that was the most profound moment, because I had to take things back to basics. Who am I? And what is God calling me to do? And this is what I came up with. I know Jesus. I know Jesus in my life. I know who he is. I know what he's done because I read my Bible. But more importantly, I know he's real in my life. I know he walks with me. And that I'm on a journey with him in my life. And I know that that's good. I also know I want other people to know Jesus. Because it's good. Because it's a good way to live. And because there's blessings in that. And so I do what I do because I know Jesus and I want other people to know him. Sounds a bit like a a slogan that we've had here, knowing Jesus and making him known. And it really is that simple. And I could get so knotted up with what particular part of the plan are we going with on this particular occasion? What are we doing with our service structure? How are we doing with our coffee after the service? What about our graveyard? I could get bogged down with so much stuff and that's what's exhausting. And that was almost the fear of coming back, thinking, oh my goodness me, why do I do what I do? And I had to break it down and say, who am I? Who do I know in my life? And I know you, Jesus. And I know that that is good. And I know that other people benefit from knowing Jesus in their lives because I see it and I hear stories. And I know that Jesus is at work in your lives. And the privilege of being able to share that journey is phenomenal. But I also know there's lots of people who don't yet know Jesus. And I long for them to do that. So I can come back on that basis. I wasn't having major meltdown, don't worry. I was always coming back. But I was exhausted. And that makes you question everything. And I still don't know if I've got the energy for the next year. I'm still tired. But I can't worry about that too much. I've got to hold on to what I actually know. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And you will bear fruit. 
So my new beginning is a resolution to draw closer to Jesus, to walk with him daily. I think my resolution also is to have a greater expectation that we all do that, but that's not my responsibility. I long for that, but I can't carry the burden of you all walking day by day with Jesus because that's actually over to you. I can create an environment, I can pray, I can encourage, but I can't bear the burden of your own individual discipleship. And that's a lesson for me as well. I need to focus on me. And I need to look at my week and how I spend my week. And am I spending it in the right places? Am I so exhausted that actually I'm not praying? None of this is in my notes, by the way, I'm sorry. This is not the sermon I stood up to speak. But I need to look at my week. And I need to carve out time to be with God, to draw close to Jesus, because it's only in that that I will bear fruit. I need to put my energies into the the ministries that are bearing fruit, to look and see where they are bearing fruit. And that might mean some things I don't get involved in. I like to be involved in everything. Actually, I can't do that either. And it might be, and I'm not saying, I know this isn't thought through, but it might be some of our ministries, God might be saying, actually, time to shift, change, mould, move on. Friday night, I needed to be spending time with our young people to hear their stories. And that gives me energy. And it gives me excitement and it gives me boldness. It gives me challenge as well because I think, oh my goodness me, how do we replicate Soul Survivor here? And we can't. But how do we raise expectation of encounter with Jesus? And that we can do. And I need to think that through and work on that. And I needed to be there. But I might not need to be in another meeting on another occasion. And I need to think that through. Because it's only when I am walking with Jesus knowing him alive in my life, that I can bear fruit. So I don't know where any of you are. If this has resonated in any way at all, as I say, it's not what I wrote. But there is something about the beginning of a new year that we're all on our own journeys. We don't necessarily know what lies ahead. But Jesus does. God does. And his promise is, if you draw close to me, I will come beside you. You will know my presence with you. You will know that I am there. You might not know the details of the journey ahead, but you will bear fruit. And that's okay. That is enough. That's been my journey. And I do have this sense that stories are going to be part of our future journey. Because we need to hear from one another the stories of what Jesus is doing in our lives. What that looks like, I don't know. But talk to me. Tell me your stories. Share them with one another. When you gather in home groups, when you gather over a cup of coffee, share what Jesus is doing because we have to be reminded that he is alive. He is real and he is working in us. And let's build each other up. And then we're in a stronger place to take something to those who haven't yet met him. Amen.